Well, we are finishing up Acts chapter 4, a few verses here, and then we're on into Acts chapter 5. Last week we were looking at Acts chapter 4, and we saw that the powers that be in the church face the same dilemmas that the powers that be do now. And we see also, we didn't get to bring this out last time, but the um, uh, our Constitution says, We the people. It is, is done in such a way that the people are the one who bring the power. And in Acts chapter 4, you see that the people that are in charge realize that the power comes from the people because they realize that they went against what the people thought they would lose their power. We always have to remember, the power is not in the few who rule. The power is in the many who are the people. We just got to act like that. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. They distributed each as anyone had need. Now, many times people come back to this part of the Scripture and they say, well, everything should be held in common. And those who have little... The ones who have much should sell what they have and give to those who have little. But anything that is worthwhile in the, in the Bible, and Jesus himself even says that on the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. This is the only time this happens in the Bible. Only time. If it is the only time it happens in the Bible, then we ought to know that it's because of special circumstances. And the special circumstances bring this about. The Word of God generally teaches more than one occasion that if you don't work, and he who has more will be given more. That's generally what the Bible teaches. In this one instance, we have where everyone brought things, or people brought things in common and helped out. There's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, first off, the uh, people who'd come into town for Pentecost didn't only brought enough to bring it to be there for the time, and they wanted this revival to keep going on. So the people who were in town and had some money, had some land, had some ability, sold it in order to keep this thing going. In about 25 to 30 years, Rome will make this land worthless. And so what God is giving to people who have land at this point, an opportunity to do, is to sell it while it has money, give it to those who have need, and as Jesus said, you will have riches in heaven as well as in this life. But this way they can send that money on ahead because in 25, 30 years, it's all going to be gone. This land will be overtaken by the Romans, left desolate, and the people will be taken out and, and so forth. So he's, he's giving a heads up. Hey, here's an opportunity for you. You can take it or you can hang on to that land and it'll be worthless in 25 years. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. And so some people went ahead and, and did that and sold what they had and, and gave it to this, to this thing. But this is not the way we are supposed to live. This is what was going on for this particular time. Again, if you're going to order your life by it, you need to find it in more than one place, two or three at least. If it does not continue to show itself in Scripture, then it's probably not something that needs to continue to show itself in our life. In verse uh, 36, and I don't wonder why I did that. Uh, Hoses, who was named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, Barnabas sold land. He didn't sell his home. 
He sold land. He had an extra piece of property. And he sold it. We don't know how many extra pieces of property he had. We know that he sold one of the extra pieces of property that he had. It may be the only one. We don't, we don't know. But what we do know is that he took it, sold it, brought all the money in, gave it to the apostles. And he just kind of did this, uh, you know, just, just, all right, we'll go ahead and do this. God was witnessing with him, whatever. And he went ahead and did it. Didn't make a big deal of it, but word got around. Now, his motives were to help those in need to promote the revival and grow the kingdom of God. That was his motive for doing it. But what he did became known to the people, and they respected, and they honored him for it. But, verse 1 of chapter 5, But a certain man named Ananias, see, chapter 4 just set the stage. <laughs> Whenever you have anything that is genuine going on, you will always have an imitator, or multiple imitators who try and get in on that. And you've got to be able to spot it. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, as far as we know from the passage here, Ananias says nothing. But somehow he did something because it was a part of the conspiracy between him and his wife to bring part of the money, but present it in such a way that it would seem to be all. Because they're trying to mimic what Barnabas did. And they want to get that, that credit. Now, that tells us a couple of things about Ananias. We're going to make assumptions on this. Um, I would assume one of two things is true. First off, either Ananias had a place in the church. He was a person well off. If you have extra land to sell, you're not just getting by. You're not going paycheck to paycheck. So he had some extra money. Maybe he was one of the big supporters of the church. Maybe he was liking the attention. Maybe he didn't start off liking the attention. But, you know, if you start bringing a lot of money and people give you attention, you can start to like it. And maybe when the attention got focused on Barnabas, he was thinking, how can I get the attention back on me? That may not have been why he started giving to the church. He may have started with the very genuine reasons. But it may have become this. He also may have not been a prominent person, but wanted to be. And saw an opportunity to be such. I would say it's one of those two. Either he was a prominent person who lost a little bit of his glow because of what Barnabas did. More attention was going over to Barnabas. Or he wanted it and he saw an opportunity to do it. And so he does this and he brings this, this up. And now understand this too. Apparently Peter does not have to be introduced to Ananias. Here he knows him. That is interesting because there's a lot of people in the church. Why is it that Peter is knowledgeable of Ananias? That may give us the idea that he was a little bit more prominent in the church and not just one who wanted to be. And maybe he felt a little bit lacking, um, uh, taking a step back because of what Barnabas did. So Ananias and Sapphira desired to help, but they also desired something else. We do have to understand they had good motives. They had some good motives. They desired to help. They sold a piece of property and they brought a portion, a, either a substantial portion, the majority of it, 
held back some. We don't know how much they held back. We don't know if they held back 30%, 20%, 50%. Don't know. It doesn't tell us. So apparently it's not important. But they held back something, but presented it as if it was a, the whole thing. But if you sold a piece of property, you know, you're getting some money for it. Property is considered valuable. They're bringing a substantial offering. You don't just do that if you don't love God. You've got to have some part in there that loves God to, to, to do this. So we ask the question, why were they judged so harshly? Is this consistent with the word of God? He was, they were doing something good. They were helping the cause. Uh, maybe they left the door open for people to make the wrong interpretation or the wrong judgment as to what they did or whatever it was. But Peter saw into it. Now, here's the thing about Peter. It is one thing to hear from the Spirit of God. It's one thing to perceive something in the Spirit of God. It's a whole other matter to speak up about it. It's a whole other matter to, to speak up about it with such authority and say, I know what you did. <laughs> that takes some stuff. <laughs> Peter, he does not balk at this at all. I know what you did. And this comes up on the inside of Peter. This comes up in his spirit and he has enough confidence in it I mean, this is the same guy who got rebuked by Jesus. <laughs> same guy who got rebuked by Jesus. He comes up. This is coming up in his spirit. And he just comes right on out. So we, we, we got Peter has done some growth. He has done some. He has grown in this thing. And he picks up. Now, everything that you pick up in the realm of the spirit does not need to be said. More people need to learn that. You can pick up some things in the realm of the Spirit and you need to be quiet about it and, uh, and not say some things. Sometimes you'll see people, they pick up something in the realm of the Spirit and they go blab it, blab it to people who have nothing to do with it. They won't be used by God for long. That's not what we're supposed to do. But Peter, he's talking, looking right at Ananias and he deals with them. Well, the reason is, and we've gone over this before, first off, they made it equal to Jericho. Remember Jericho? Everything in there belongs to me. It is an accursed thing. Their money became an accursed thing, like in Joshua chapter 7, simply because they declared it to be. They are declaring that they are bringing it all, whereas they're only bringing part. Now, Peter says this, while it was your own, wasn't it yours to do what you wanted? We do have to understand the Bible teaches us that what is ours is ours. It's not shared with God. It is ours. While it was yours, couldn't you do with it what you wanted? And after you sold it, wasn't the money still for you to do what you wanted? Well, that's what it, it, it is. You, if you sell something, if you have money, it's still yours to do what you want. God's Word has told us a few things about it. But what you have is your own. And it's under your control. This is what Peter is telling us. What you have is your own, and it's under your control. It's not under God's control. It's under yours. As Phyllis was talking about here, that, that one on stewardship. You are not a steward of your own money. <laughs> you control it. I won't go over all that. You can go back on the quarter on that. Exceptions are only when God asks something of you. If God says, Steve, I want you to go over there and do this. Well, I got something from God. Now, there are commands in the Word of God, like the command to tithe and special assignments that He might give. 
But I put this in your outline. If God's word, written or spoken, will not release your stuff, then you are in charge. Not God. We are to make God Lord. My money is under my control. But whose control am I supposed to be under? So if God does something to me, then I need to speak to my money that's under my control and release it as God has asked me to. That's if I'm under his control. Now, Jesus asked something of the rich young ruler. Go, sell what you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. He asked something of him and he wouldn't release it because he was not under control of the Spirit of God. That's what the problem with a lot of Christians. We believe in God. We like God. We enjoy him. <laughs> I like you, God. You know, right? But, um, but there, there are certain areas that, you know, he just doesn't have any dealings with. These are mine. And that's, that's, a, that's a problem. We've got to make sure that if he speaks something to us and he says, don't do that, okay? Yes, sir? Now, the motivation is always uh, key. We've got to understand the motivation of, of people. And you can, you can understand the motivation of people. It's, it's usually pretty easy. You usually just ask them. If they won't reveal it by asking them, then just talk with them. Because the Word of God tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, mouth speaks. You can find out people's motivation, just get them talking about it. And find, you're going to find out what motivates them. Well, these, these folks had the motivation. First thing they wanted to do, they, wanted, they were motivated to give to the Lord. That's a good motivation. You don't do this unless you're motivated to give to the Lord. But here's another thing. They wanted to be honored. They liked the honor that Barnabas got. They wanted to be honored. They had a desire for that. Uh, they wanted appreciation. They saw Barnabas being appreciated by all these people. They wanted some of that appreciation. Mostly, they wanted something else. They didn't just want to give to the Lord. They didn't just want to be obedient to the Lord. They didn't just want to be the kingdom. They wanted something else. And this is what opens the door for Satan. Go back over the scripture here. I want you to see this in verse 3. But Peter said to Ananias, Peter has become remarkably perceptive. And his words used to not have a whole lot of weight to him, suddenly have much weight. Look at what he says. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Why has Satan filled your heart? Is Ananias a believer? Sure seems to be. There's no reason to think that he's not a believer. Why has Satan filled your heart? How can this happen to a believer? How can a believer have his heart filled with the devil or by the devil? How can that possibly be? Is it possible? Well, there's a few other examples in the Word of God. Remember Cain? Where did he get the idea to, to kill Abel? Where do you think that came? Think it came from God? No, it didn't come from God. How about Pharaoh to enslave Israel? Where did that idea come from? Where did the idea in Pharaoh come from to enslave Israel? Was it a God idea? No. Satan was trying to oppress this people. He wanted to get rid of this people by enslaving them. You can then do as you want. And he kept instilling, uh, instilling more ideas into them, start killing off their kids, and so forth. But 
the pharaohs were greatly indebted to the children of Israel because Joseph came and saved that nation. But they forgot, the Word of God tells us, they forgot about Joseph. And they became f in fear of Israel. Well, that's a playground for Satan. And so he comes along and he just says, all right, those people are going to rise up. You better enslave them. Why you can do it? Because right now you can probably do it, but tomorrow, I don't know. And so he comes along, he fills their heart. Now, Pharaoh wasn't a believer. Pretty easy to do that with people who aren't believers. But Korah was a Levite. He served in the temple. Was called of God to do things in the temple. Did Satan come along and fill his heart with an idea? And they rose up against Moses and Aaron. Why are you guys doing all this stuff? We're okay. We, we, me, we can do some stuff too. How come you're always doing all this? And they had, beside Korah, there was a few others. That their hearts were filled with an idea and they pursued it, thinking they were pursuing God. Saul rose up to kill David. This is a man handpicked by God to be king. That God filled with his spirit, he prophesied. Where did he get the idea to kill David with a spear? How about Ahithophel? Remember Ahithophel? Grandfather. Bathsheba. When David did all that stuff with killing off her husband, having the affair with her, he harbored that in his heart. He looked for an opportunity. Absalom, Absalom came along. And he had an idea. And he thought God was in it. But where did the idea come from? It came from Satan. Because he was coming against the Lord's anointed. He was coming against the king that God had said would reign forever. And when he saw that the hand of God was not with him, when Absalom rejected his counsel and went with Hushai, he went, got his affairs in order and hung himself because he realized, I did not go the way of God. But all up until that point, he thought he was going the way of God. Who filled his heart? Satan. This is a guy that they, they said to him, if you got counsel from Ahithophel, it was like hearing from God. That's how good it was. Peter counseled Jesus. Jesus, you ought not talk like this. This is not good things for you to say, that you're going to die and be resurrected and third day, all that sort of stuff. This is not good stuff. This, this is not going to generate great numbers and faith for people to believe for healing. This is, we need to stop this sort of stuff. And uh, what, how did Jesus take to that? Get behind me, Satan. He saw it as Satan. Satan filled Peter's heart. Now, Peter got right. But then later on, we see somebody else who came along. And Jesus said that Satan filled him up too. And that was Judas to betray Jesus. A man who would served him all these years. And Satan was able to come in. We saw what the opportunity was. He wanted to get his hands on some money. Little by little, money had replaced seeking after the kingdom. He gave up everything to follow after Jesus. But pretty soon he saw an opportunity to take money out of the treasury. And then he wanted more money to go into the treasury. And when he saw this woman spend all this money on Jesus' feet, he was a little uh, taken back. This money could have been, no, this fragrance could have been sold. Money given to the poor. He doesn't care about the poor. He wants it in the till so he can take some of it. Satan filled his heart with that. How about Paul killing Christians? Is that God? But the, does Paul think he's serving God? Yeah, he does. He's shocked. What do you mean? I'm persecuting you. What do you mean I'm persecuting? I'm, I'm getting rid of these heathens. Call themselves Christians. 
He thought he was going after and doing the right thing. Many times we see in the Word of God, and we did not hit all of them. We hit some. You can probably think, your mind can probably go and begin to think of some others yourself. Of where people who are believers following after God, a door is opened and Satan is able to fill their heart with something that will cause them to have a stumbling block. Now, the words that Peter is told by Jesus, these are the ones that enlighten us. Matthew chapter 16, verse 22. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Now, who's he speaking to? But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. He's talking to Peter, but he's speaking to Satan. That's interesting. Apparently, at this moment, Jesus is not differentiating between Peter and Satan. Hmm. Well, that'll mess with some people's doctrine, wouldn't it? <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Now, here's the kicker. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So here's what's in your outline. If we are not mindful of the kingdom of God first, we leave the door open. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. First and foremost, what we must seek is the kingdom of God. If we are not seeking the kingdom of God, if you are seeking the kingdom of God second, second priority in your entire life is seeking the kingdom of God. You are missing God and giving an opportunity for the Satan. Not gonna, it's not going to work. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We've got to be mindful first off of the kingdom. Not second, not third. There is nothing that you should put in there. There is no person on the face of this earth that goes ahead of God and the kingdom. None. Kingdom first. That's what we've got to do. Don't open the door for Satan to fill your heart. And what he wants to do, he's going to do the same thing he did with Judas. Judas started, first thing in his, his mind, kingdom. Kingdom. But then slowly he began to get a desire for money. He became the treasurer. Opportunity was there. He sows the seed. You know, you can take just 10 bucks. No one's missing 10 bucks. It's at least what you're worth for doing all this accounting for all this time. Well, yeah. It's got to be worth something. And then 10 becomes 20 and 50, 100, and more and more. And then pretty soon, we're not seeking first the kingdom, but instead of seeking first the kingdom, we seek first for the till to be increased instead of the kingdom of God. And then that leaves the opportunity for Satan to enter in, which is what he did with Judas. Peter is not mindful of the kingdom right now. He's mindful, I have a friendship with Jesus. I don't want Jesus to go anywhere. I want Jesus to be here. He's my friend. I like Jesus. Life is good with Jesus around. We don't want Jesus to go. Now, that sounds like it might be kingdom first, but it's not. You've got to be kingdom first. Kingdom first is, I need to die. Jesus is saying, I need to die. 
And and Peter gets in the way of that. And he starts to talk to him. You, you don't need to do this. <laughs> Peter, get behind me. Or Satan, get behind me. Says to Peter. Now look what happens here. Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. That's it. There's no chance to repent. <laughs> this was this was sudden. This was severe. How do you think that would make the news if uh, Peter was in church? He's pastoring a church, and Ananias came in and bring an offering. What do you think the news would do in, reco- in covering that? Man tries to bring offering in church. Preacher kills him. <laughs> preacher kills him because it wasn't the whole thing, right? That's what I think. Preacher wanted the whole thing. He only brought part, and he died. Preacher killed him. Isn't that what it was? <laughs> so great fear came upon all those who heard these things. I guess it would. <laughs> Man, don't lie. Most people are going to be thinking of this this way. Don't lie to Peter. That's how most people are going to be hearing it. Don't lie to Peter. But that's not what Peter said. You didn't lie to me. You, you lied to... Yep. You lied to God. You didn't lie to me. The great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Can you imagine having in the church a team of ushers, a team of greeters, and a team of buriers? The young men arose. Got young men in the church. Meetings going on. And certain young men arose. I guess they were the designated buriers. <laughs> <laughs> all right, who's on call? All right, you guys, come on. And they come on up and they, they just take them right on out. Well, we don't need to call any authorities. We don't need to, you know, have him checked out at the hospital. He's dead. We bury him. Just take him right on out there and put him in the ground. We couldn't quite do that today, could we? We'd have to go through a whole lot of procedure. You'd have to get in the ambulance and go to the hospital and then be pronounced dead. And then the investigation had to go on and, you know, the people would be questioned and not there. No, they just take them one out and buried them. Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Well, I guess not. He, was, he died. He'd take him right out and buried. <laughs> and Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, now, you got to listen to these words. These words, Peter, his words, you got to watch his words anymore. How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Apparently, we don't have a second team. We only got one team. I mean, you, you, it can be tiring digging a hole, digging a hole and putting somebody in. Now you got to go back out and dig another hole. Yeah, that's, that's something you got to dig a hole. You got to put them in it and then you got to carry them back up. I'm sure that they're tired. I'm sure they're saying to Peter, Peter, is there no one else you can get? <laughs> can we get another couple of guys out there? We just did one. But they come on in. Now, I'm sure they're thinking, two people have just died here. Well, whatever you want. <laughs> whatever you want. We're going to go out there and do it. No other church apparently to go to. This is the only one. How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. He just declares it. She's still alive. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young man came in and found her dead. <laughs> oh, another dead one. All right, carry her out too. 
buried her by her husband. So can you imagine the conversation of these guys when they are digging the second hole? <laughs> Y'all want to go back? <laughs> Y'all want to go back into church? <laughs> there might be another one that we'd have to be coming on out here. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it does say that great fear came upon all the church, so I may, they may have, uh, we're going back. I don't know. <laughs> we're not, we're not going, we're going back. We'll be dismissed. Peter needs to dismiss us. We should, we're not just leaving. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. Now, Peter says very, remember, Peter's words are important. Peter changed one word in one prophecy and the entire meeting changed. Here's what it's, the, he says, Satan put this in your in the heart of the of Ananias, the husband. But does he say that of the wife? He does not say that of the wife. Satan did not put this in her heart. Satan only put it in the heart of Ananias. How did it get in her heart? Because Ananias shared what was in his heart with her and she accepted it. Satan does not have to put everything in everybody's heart. He just needs to put it in the heart of a few and others pick up on it. They share their heart and others pick up on what's going on. We got to be careful of the heart of people that are around us and what we allow coming in. Because some people, they're believers. It looks good. I mean, we might have our close, we might be even close to them like Peter and Jesus were. But if they start speaking doubt and unbelief, they start speaking things that Satan put in their heart. We need to have the wherewithal to stand up and say, no, no, not going to do that one. That is wrong. And we need to be able to separate what is put in their heart by Satan from that particular person and not accept it. That's on us to do. If Sapphira would have done that, she might still be alive. Not, of course, not now, but she might have still been alive after that when we get to go on in chapter five here. But she didn't. Now, sometimes people that are close to us, it's hard to stand up against the things that they share. But you need to be resistant to some of those things. Sometimes people that are close to you, Satan puts a thing in their heart that is poisonous about other people. And you need to be careful about it. Don't let it get in. Sometimes people have a kind affection for a group of people, other group of people, and they begin to say things kind and affectionate about them, but they're against the things of God. And you are not to have that kind of affection. You need to stand for the principles of the Word of God. The kingdom is first. The kingdom. Too often people have perverted the Word of God and said that people are first. I heard somebody talking about, I don't know uh, what's, what has gone on in the, in the, in the um, formal church out there, but apparently um, one of the higher-ups is making some noise about listening to uh, gays and homosexuals and that, uh, well, you, we just need to love people. And I heard some people talking about this particular religious, religious leader saying these things, and they were saying, well, that is more the gospel. The gospel preaches love and acceptance. The gospel does not teach love and acceptance at all. Gospel teaches this, there's one way. Jesus is the way. And this is it. And there are certain people that get caught up in sin. And what's the Bible tell us, say we should do with that? Rebuke them, correct them, fix the thing. Constantly we see that in there. If people didn't do it, God stepped in and started doing it. 
And if they didn't listen to it and God started doing it, then he started wiping people out. He wiped out whole cities. He wiped out whole nations because they would not listen. Jesus came in and says, you think I came to bring peace? I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to bring separation between mothers and sons, fathers, so forth. He gave the list. How did we come out with the wrong message? Because we don't realize it is the kingdom of God first. And we've got to stand for the things that are the kingdom. Peter does this. Peter says in the chapter before, you tell us, what should we do? Should we listen to you? Or should we listen to God? We cannot but testify the things that we have seen and the things that we have heard. They threaten them some more and then send them on their way. Not going to do much good. We need to stand for the kingdom. And the kingdom of God, the principles of it, are in the Word of God. There's a whole lot of people going around saying things about the kingdom of God and this love and acceptance. But it's not in the Bible. God loves people. He doesn't like sin. Some sins that people fall into are sins that involve bringing others in. And he is very much against these people. And he has judged entire cities and nations because of the way they bring other people into their sins. That's something God will judge. We've got to be making a stand for these things. We've got governments that want to tell religious organizations what they will and what they won't do. We've got governments that don't want to stand for families. They want to put children under people who live perverted sexual lives. This is not the Bible. This is not right. And yeah, to stand up against it is going to mean that people are going to target you. But the Word of God says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's what we got to do. Not our righteousness, not our idea, but what's the Bible say? And the Bible has some very good things to say about what's right and what is wrong. And yours and my idea of what is right and what is wrong doesn't hold a hill of beans. All that matters is what the Word of God says. That's all that matters. And if we do not have the Word of God on it, then we shouldn't be speaking it. And if we have the Word of God on it, and we want to try and soften it, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We don't need to do that. Satan is looking for people, saved or unsaved, that he can fill their heart. He's not out to fill everyone's heart. He just has to fill a few key ones. Because they'll go and they'll fill other people. He was trying to get involved in this whole affair here that was going on with the church as it gets going. He's trying to get himself involved in it. And Peter was given the wisdom and insight says, don't let Satan get involved in this. You stop it right here. I'll bet you some other people who started to hear some things like that, they said, I'm not doing that. I was thinking about it, but I'm not doing that now. Mm-mm. Satan was probably working on some other people and fear fell on them and they didn't do it. Tell you what, it's a whole lot better to obey the word of God out of love than to obey it out of fear. A whole lot better. We need to obey the word of God because we love the kingdom. We love God. Not obey it because we're afraid. 
That's just the better way to do it. Satan is looking for people whose hearts he can fill. God wants to fill you with love and joy and peace, gladness. But love does not always mean you are kind and nice and smiling to everybody. Because Jesus is the best example of love we have. And there are some people he did not smile at. There are some people he didn't speak nicely to. There are some people he treated very harshly. And we need to learn from his example. So who those people are. There are some people that are out to hurt others. And that's something that the kingdom of God does not like. The kingdom of God wants to bring them in and nurture them, help them, bring them a long way. This is where we're here to do. Word of God says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. See, just that verse right there tells you why the folks in Acts chapter 4 were wrong. They didn't esteem other people better. They saw themselves as better than everyone else. That right there will tell you the people on the wrong track. The kingdom of God says no. Esteem others as better than yourself. Selfish, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Don't do it because it's going to benefit me. It does not matter that it might benefit you. That's not your, mo- that's not your primary motivation for doing it. Your primary motivation for doing it? The kingdom. Barnabas was mindful of the kingdom. He just did what was in his, his heart, what God had asked him to do. Barnabas, would you sell that priest's property and bring it for the what we're doing here? Oh, you got it, Lord. Went out there and sold it and just brought it in. That was it. Ananias and Sapphira were mindful of selfish ambitions while appearing to be of the kingdom. They were not mindful of the kingdom. They were mindful of selfish ambition, but tried to pass it off as mindful of the kingdom. That's what got them in trouble. God doesn't like selfish ambition, but you try and pass that off as the kingdom. And Satan was trying to get into what was going on here. And God put a stop to it pretty drastically. But um, I think, you know, a whole lot less people had to die (laughs) because of how remarkable this was. We don't ever hear about this happening again. So here's a question we need to ask ourselves. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it because of me or the kingdom? Is it because of me or the kingdom? Have you ever seen people in church or in ministry or something and they have something that they are doing and someone else comes along who might be able to do better at it and they protect their position instead of furthering the kingdom? We've got to be careful of that. We've got to be careful. We cannot just protect ourselves. We've got to pursue the kingdom. We've got to remember John the Baptist? He's the guy we've got to look at. John the Baptist was the guy. He was the guy. He was the guy to go here. And then Jesus came up and he became the guy. And John says, wait a minute. I'm the guy. Now, now he says, nah, he must increase. And I must inc- decrease. I fulfilled my purpose. I was to come and announce him. He's here. I'm fulfilled. That's why Jesus said such great things about him. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I motivated for the kingdom or am I motivated for something that I'm getting out of it? doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. just means you may be doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Make sure you do the right thing for the right reasons and it all works out a whole lot better. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. We thank you for the instruction you give us. 
as to how things should go. And that our mindset must be the kingdom of God first and foremost. That needs to be the number one thing. There can be other things, but that's the number one thing. I thank you, Father, for the help that you give us in this. Help us to be careful of those that are around us, knowing that believer or unbeliever, Satan can fill the heart of people that we're close to for the purpose of getting us off. He may have tried to fill our heart and we resisted it. So he's trying to get to us through another. But we can spot it just as Jesus spotted it and deal with it strongly and go on. We have to be more mindful of the kingdom than we are mindful of maintaining friendships, maintaining things that are are going on around us. We've got to maintain the kingdom first and foremost. We thank you for the help that you give us. Just as you gave Peter insight as to what was happening, you'll give us insight to know what's going on. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.